Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 13. On today's podcast, the boys talk about ways that you can prepare for Lent. Prep your Lent before you wreck your Lent. Prep your Lent before you wreck your Lent. Prep your Lent before you wreck your Lent. Prep it before you wreck it. Prep it before you wreck it. Laundry's dead. Welcome to Theology of the Buddy, episode 13. What's up, everybody? Not much. Oh, sorry. Something needs to be up. We just got back from church, and now we're podcasting. Podcasting. We totally are. Yeah, we had the requisite pizza and whiskey breaks in between church. Shout out to Father Steve in Theology of the Belly. For yeah. sponsoring this podcast, yeah, yeah. they at least sponsored our bellies. He's That's right. This episode, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Father Steve, for the coupons for the pizza. We definitely used them today. That was great. Anyway, welcome, gentlemen. It's good to see you. Welcome back. So, uh, before we we get into this, we just wanted to make a quick PSA service announcement, saying huge thanks uh, to everyone for tuning in week after week. Uh, you know, we're we're coming. This is our 13th episode, so technically 14th. <laughs> but you will never a... hear that one. <laughs> but uh, we really appreciate everybody listening in. If you um, if you found this podcast beneficial to you, um, would you guys consider rating and reviewing our podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening? It will really help bring attention to the work we're doing here. So, also, uh, do you have a friend or family member um, that may enjoy our podcast? We'd love for you guys to share this podcast with them and uh, let them know about our podcast and our community on Facebook. So anyways, yeah. Speaking about Facebook, we have a new Instagram. Do we? We have a new Instagram. Yay. (laughs) So we ran a poll on our Facebook group and which can be found at, at theology of the buddy. And it was a tight poll. It was three people voted. (laughs) That's not true. It was like eight, (laughs) eight or 10 or something. But, um, Instagram won out against Twitter. So we've started our Instagram, uh, in honor of all the trouble Aaron gives me for having long hair. Uh, I've posted a pic that our friend father Steve created, which I'm going to show the boys right now. So yeah, for all of the trouble you've been giving me about having long hair, like in the, like in the thought experiment we had where I'm strangling people where I'm like the, when you're coming for someone's family, those poor I'm, the, I'm, pilgrims. The, I'm the Scranton strangler with the freaking long hair. Here's a picture of me bald. I hope you enjoy it. If it'll load up. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. I remember my first computer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, I would say that. <laughs> there you go. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, it's horrifying. If you want to see it, uh, come follow us over on Instagram. If we get 1,000 or maybe 2,000 followers, you'll just shave your head and you'll look like this picture on Instagram? If we do, if we get 2,000 followers, before July, yeah, okay, yeah, I will agree to that. That sounds amazing. I guess they can't just be bot accounts, like, no, it's legit. He's gonna legitly shave his head, so we'll get some legit yeah. accounts. It's gonna be great, yeah. Anyway, so come follow us on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy. All the boys will have access to it, I'll have access to it, so yeah, we can just post pictures. There's gonna be effeminate memes effeminate. Oh, for hashtag effeminate memes. For teens? Yeah, well, we were talking about creating a theology, 
of the or not sorry a uh, Facebook group called uh, Ripper Girl Memes, Memes for, for Feminine, feminine Teens. teens. Oh, yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> that's that's golden. So yeah, maybe we can do that. Anyway, so yeah, come follow us on Instagram if you're not following us already on Facebook. Come check us out there. Anyways, I'm gonna throw it over to Aaron. Aaron, what are your what's going on with you, man? Well, I listened to Deacon's talk and. That's Deacon Mark Neugebauer. Yeah, I don't know how to say his last name, so I just don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it, but I just, it's sometimes sketchy when, especially clerics, don't like clearly push through that Protestants are heretical and schismatic and that they should be avoided and that it's like a very grave sin. And then Chris got back to me after I had kind of said this on our group chat and he kind of ripped into me, which I thought some like warranted criticism. And I just was hoping we could like kind of have a little tete a tete right now about sure. like, what do you do when this this stuff kind of comes up? Yeah. So like your your original question was how far is too far in terms of like calling things out in terms of that? Or well, like, my, or, do you, or do you want to talk about this issue in general? I don't know. Well, let's get, I'll just clearly say the issue I had was when Deacon, he just, he seems to recall his Protestantism with, uh, with fondness, which to me, I find that a little sketchy and you should almost be a little, you know, horrified by your former schism and heresy. Uh, and so, yeah. And, and then, so like, but should people like, I don't know, is there an obligation whenever you're talking about, um, is there an obligation whenever you're talking about uh, your former errors to, to like always say like, oh, by the way, I reject all of this. Like, do you have to say that or is it just like, I don't know, I can never know. Like, you know, sometimes I like rigorism just because like it kind of clears the air. Like, OK, we know he doesn't like that, but and we don't have to worry about his feelings about it now. So I was just, yeah, do you know my concern? And actually, yeah. we had some feedback um, from uh, from Matt's brother, too, who kind of said the same thing. What did your brother say? No, uh, well, uh, something he said he just kind of picked up on was, and I think it wasn't just Deacon Mark, but the idea like, and, and actually I've noticed this, converts, particularly from Judaism, you know, they almost talk about, you know, they were they regret that they're ostracized from their, their families and their communities. But I think it, I, I think there is a real experience of that. They go from something that has uh, this you know, beautiful community life around it to, you know, it's not always at a lot, a lot of Catholic parishes. No. Um, yeah. Like when, when was the last time we had a Catholic ghetto, like in the, in the proper understanding of the term, right? Like where Catholics were segregated into like one neighborhood and, you know, there was a common, you know, faith among the people. Like that'd be pretty sweet. I I I'd move to a neighborhood like that. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. They'd probably kick me out. I would. Yeah. Oh, here, long hair. <laughs> well, Eastern. But yeah, so that was my concern. I don't think it's like a grave concern. But then when you brought up, what did you bring up? You said like, don't be a grumpy trad, Aaron, or we need to get out of our own echo chamber. And I'm really like curious, just kind of following that rabbit hole. Like, when is it appropriate to say things like this? And when is it, when do you just have to like kind of get, get over yourself? And I, I don't actually know the answer. That's why I thought I'd, you know. Yeah. Do you, like like I like I know exactly what you're saying in terms of like especially with a sense of a fondness towards those those things of the past. Again, I think everybody's on a on a journey. I 
I can tell you I'm not the person I was 10 years ago. I mean, let's be honest. He's only been a Catholic 10 years. I mean, granted, you know, he's gone through a ton of formation, one would hope, through, you know, becoming a deacon and things like that. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that there's there's a lot of growth that it it takes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'll have to figure out how I'm going to cut this out and make it sound right. But... I don't know like I just think that there's something to be said about the the fact that like I looked at things in my past my charismatic experiences with certain fondness and my experiences in different Protestant circles with fondness for a long time and but the thing is and I think this comes down to my question, you would ask the question about, um, essentially, you'd said implying the Holy Spirit is at a schismatic and heretical place where demons reigned is kind of sketchy. This was your words in, in our show notes. Yeah. The thing is, like, I I think the, the point is that, you know, are, are you saying here that it wasn't actually the Holy Spirit prompting Deacon Mark to read St. Teresa of Jesus? Yeah. That's the question. I don't know, but I would I would say a house against itself is going to fall. Like Jesus says that in the scriptures, right? Like like in this case, like I th- I think the Holy Spirit was moving mm-hmm. to get him to read Catholic works. Yeah, but I just think when you're in when you're in Protestant churches, you have to put out like a firm line and you should let everyone know that the Holy Spirit maybe came to you at this moment. But like the Holy Spirit can come to people in any place, and that doesn't mean that that place is good. Like the Medjugorje, right? Like people say that the Holy Spirit comes to them and they have reversions. That doesn't mean Medjugorje is right, right? And that does, so that's I just uh, I just got a little leery, and and I think people need to re- like um, remember that Protestants they're heretics and they're schismatics. Uh, we I, I'm kind of sick of the sugar coating, um, even if they're not formally heretics or schismatics, they still are, and demons. It's uh, Phil from Unum Sanctum Catholicum. He did a article once, and it had um, it had a possession where they had a bunch of Protestants come in, and the demon like mocked these people, saying like, "I wrote these prayers you're trying to expel me with. Like, get the heck out of here." And then, right. the, so uh, my my main issue, well, you know, Deacon's talk was great. I liked the, it, was, but I just sometimes I get worried when people just don't adequately say like. I know the Holy Spirit moves in your life, but like we have to move away from things, which that's the line kind of you and I have, right? Like I rejected most things in my youth where you, you kind of brought it up organically. Like you still do a lot of the stuff you did in your youth. Whereas like, but but I had my conversion at 13. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. 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 I think truth lies in the mean between those, as St. Thomas would say, between those approaches, there's, I mean, you can, you can focus sure on all the, the heretical aspects and yeah there are demons attached to all of these movements i'm sure too but the holy spirit i mean god isn't really bound by the whims of demons right demons can only do their activity through his permissive will yeah and so you know we also have the line where sin abounds grace abounds all the more but the grace is given in those communities come through the church the true church which is the catholic church and their grace is ordered towards conversion they're not graces that leave the person in that state. They're graces that bring them closer to truth. Right. So, yeah. 
Like the, the Holy yeah. Spirit's definitely active. Okay, so my main issue, although I find this kind of fascinating, my main issue is uh, God's patient and I'm not. So sometimes I just fr- I'm frustrated with that. I'm like, yeah. why and and why isn't everyone, you know? And I just, you know, I just like people need to, you know what I mean, right? Like I just sometimes I stumble myself over like God, like why does God come to these people or like why does he why doesn't he like convert them fully or you know I, I'm not saying Deacon wasn't converted fully. I'm just saying like these these just how people say things sometimes i guess irritates yeah. the trad in me that's all i'm getting at so yeah and i don't know I, I don't think i adequately phrased what my brother conveyed to me he was got the sense that like there was almost concern that you know jews from his life would see him as disloyal and he was concerned about that image i don't know i think that especially i know he's 10 years into his journey but that would be tough to have your entire community kind of reject you so and and it is a process like you can look at somebody in cross-section 10 years into their journey like you're not in an ideal world like if we're all saints they just make that decision and they carry on with it but you know we're we're not seeing the end product of a person who's you know conversion like it or not is a process for most of us Mm -hmm. and reversion too right and i think i think there is something to be said too about um you know, especially a person who came in later in his life had been exposed long term to these attitudes and whatnot. I mean, it takes a while for those attitudes or whatever to kind of give way, you know, like to new things and and to for me, like I know that there are things that I I still struggle with, um, and I still look at like even yeah like like even just regular things that i had kind of just been not too hardcore about i don't know if i'm going to include this in the actual no no show. tell us what it, like me. i don't know like it's just like like things like praise and worship oh. like i mean i i still like to listen to praise and worship once in a while so sue me you know i am very selective about what i listen to because i think a lot is crap but you know I do tend to sometimes listen to that. Um, you know, I don't know. Is that's, that wrong? That's a, like, I don't, I don't it's know. It's understandable. I think it's like any other, like we were talking about this, well, in a few episodes. It's like any other appetite, though. Like, we still derive some sort of pleasure, say, pleasure from that. Yeah. And and it's just like, we could all be St. John Viennese and only eat cold, half-rotten potatoes for the rest of our lives. But no, we, we still derive pleasure from eating good pizza like we had tonight. So... You know, we're not... Thanks, Father Steve. <laughs> yeah, thanks again. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect you to, you know, the saintly thing may be to have given all that up, but they have a very temperate approach to that too. Like they're not just going to the extreme for the sake of going to the extreme. They're going to that extreme because they love God. Right. But I, again, I'm not surprised that you have certain appetites that you enjoy. It doesn't mean, you know... That you maybe give- it may, you give into them all the time yeah. or whatever like but it, yeah. you also recognize that it's not a state of perfection either right right exactly yeah. exactly i don't know but but also part of me thinks a little bit of like part part of me gets defensive towards it in a way and i go like like who who made us the the people in charge of correcting every single person's error 
And I mean, that's the church's job. I mean, yeah, we're called to correct the doubtful and whatever, like, and the, and the spiritual works of mercy. But I mean, we could spend all day going from person to person to person saying wrong, wrong, yeah. wrong, wrong. But you it's know? comfy to keep the beam in my eye. I like <laughs> yeah. scraping at your spec. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, like, I know. I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, I really liked your criticism on the show notes. You just like get out of your own echo chamber. Like, cause that's all I do. I just like sit and I listen to people who think like me and I only talk to people who will affirm me. And I, yeah, I don't get out of the chamber of myself, but I, I just worry so much about it's 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 so hard to know like when to let things go prudentially because like oh they're growing and when like i would just worry if we um if if you give in your whole life or you don't know like when how, how are you gonna know when to actually speak up that's that's all i say so like i never know when to speak up i'm worried i'm more worried now to not speak up eh, i'm more worried now to not speak up when i when i when i'm not yeah. sure right like because People need to speak up. I'm really getting tired That's, of people not speaking up. I, yeah, I, I don't know how you cultivate that. That's all a part of prudence. Yeah, knowing I was going to say act. it's a virtue of prudence. Well, but, I'm sick of prudence. But just I, like <laughs> if you read St. Thomas on, you know, fraternal correction, not only do you have to be in a position of authority but you or equal to that person, but you also have to know there's a reasonable chance that they'll they'll listen to you. And you yeah. also have to know that it's not going to make it worse. So like that's all governed by prudence. I don't I don't know how yeah. you get there. Yeah. yeah. I, I was actually going to say, though, like with with regards to the way we approach people who may be of a different mindset than us or like as I was kind of praying and thinking about like I was reminded of the quote from Romans that says, uh, quote, now him that is weak in faith, take unto you, not in disputes about thoughts, end quote. So I just, oh, I, just I, yeah. I just really think that there is a a need for us to learn the ability to just prudentially be able to respond to the Holy Spirit. And if he's guiding us through prayer to correct someone to do it, but I don't think like we need to just be so constantly on edge. Yeah. Like I don't think that's, you know, the, um, the readings from today's mass talked about, let the peace of Christ rejoice in your hearts. Mm -hmm. Some, like, yeah. how does the peace of Christ rejoice in our hearts if we're sitting there and just waiting for someone to correct? Yeah, I don't I, know. I, I agree. Don't know. Well, I just started up on the altar again, and I was actually thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, man, I'm up here just like watching for these kids to make a mistake so I can correct it. It's such a, it's a, it's a really like nuanced twist to how I think, and it, and it's it's really bad. Um, I like another one. Like I I can't even remember. It's some psalm or something. I think of thoughts of peace, not affliction. For just imagine, like, how does God think of thoughts of peace when everything's going on in the world right now? You'd think like he'd be moved to wrath, but no, he thinks of thoughts of peace for you. So I I'm having this like internal battle. That's actually why I brought this up because in my life right now, I'm actually thinking like, when is it time to say anything? And I'm unfortunately coming to the realization that usually it's never the time to say anything. And it's just, it's really frustrating to have to restrain yourself, uh, but then know when to go. So anyway, that was just my thoughts. Yeah. So. Yeah. The thing is, like, I I was kind of thinking about the fact that um, I read a quote earlier this week that said, nothing is so strong as gentleness, nothing so gentle as real strength. Um, St. Francis yeah. de Sales said that. So. You know, I think love, peace, and joy, these words have lost their real meaning in today's culture. Um, but they are and remain true and unchangeable. Um, these are the things which draw most people to the heart of Christ. I mean, I don't know about your experience, but my experience of 
running into to people who live in the religious life in you know in convents and monasteries it's these things that they have like they they may know that i am not the catholic that i need to be that i'm certainly not as holy as i need to be but it's their example of love and holiness and peace that draws me to want to live that life of sanctity you know they don't they're not sitting there giving me trouble for oh you know like you know you're failing in this this and this you mm-hmm. know yeah um or correcting my theology even if they do correct my theology they do it in a they do it laughing with a smile they do it yeah. i smile every time i tell you dominicans are better than carmel yes yeah. <laughs> yeah me too you know man that's funny <laughs> nothing so strong as gentleness nothing so gentle as real strength Father Mark Goring's talk, reality check. It was the half an hour one he just put out, like what what day? February the seventh yeah, or sixth or something like that. Um, it 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 was like his quote unquote hard talk, and it was like a soft talk for trads. I was like, man, no wonder no one, no wonder I'll never get anyone to convert, or I've never like because like this is his hard talk, and he tempers it so well, and everything bad that he says, he always says, but like he always like balances it with God's love. So I like he's the man who's going to convert people. And I'm not, I kind of need to like get over that and change myself if I want to convert people. But yeah, I don't know. But yeah, Father Mark Goring just fits that bill right there. He's the new St. Francis de Sales. Plus we (laughs) see that in, there's a book that I think Aaron's done. I'm still working my way through, but the Revelations of St. Bridget. I mean, they go through some pretty harsh words in these series of visions, but it's always ended with, but if this person would just turn to me, I'll welcome him back with my arms wide open and give him the grace to make it to heaven. I mean, yep. they go through, you know, bad bishops, bad monks, and talk about all the horrible things they're doing. But it's always balanced out at the end with this message yep. of hope for each of them, too. It's going to be my new challenge. I mean, anytime I say anything bad, I'm going to try to balance it with. But God is so, like, try to talk more positively about God. Because a lot of people, like, don't hear anything about religion. So if it's just trads saying if it's just me if someone only had like uh, me has their view of catholicism that would be really bad you know like so i you know like i I gotta try to balance that's my new goal so i bet you ask me next week how it goes i'm gonna try to anytime (laughs) i say anything bad i'm gonna try to say something good too see how it goes so awesome awesome yeah i gotta tell you though like i i find that i get especially when things are required of me like we're coming into lent oh here we go this is the actual topic for today, which is prep your Lent before you, you wreck your Lent. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I Lent makes me grumpy, guys. I suck at it. And um, Matt can probably attest to this because he got to see me, especially over Triduum last year, not eating. And <laughs> I was not as, as jovial. And it's chipper. I didn't think you were grumpy. I just noticed you got pretty quiet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sitting there. I'm like, "Uh, Lord, save me. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but I I was thinking about this with regards to to Lent um, and how Jesus uh, says, and when you fast, be not as the hypocrites. Sad. I love that that translation from the Douay Reims. You don't see that in the RSV or NRSV, right? It doesn't say that. It says, do not be as the hypocrites, comma, sad. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. 
Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not to men to fast, but to thy father who is in secret, and thy father who seeth in secret will repay thee. I actually, it's it's so interesting. You guys were asking about this earlier. So Chris Pratt, he is a famous actor right now. One of the big hot shots in Hollywood was in Guardians of the Galaxy, um, was Andy in Parks and Rec. Um, anyway, long story short, he's a Christian. He's a Protestant. Um, and he announced... What did we that, just say about them? <laughs> Sorry, go on. He but but he announced that he was doing the Daniel fast, which I'm not sh- I'm not 100 sure if it's a Daniel fast or if it they were doing the Daniel plan, which is a whole different thing. It's kind of a fast thing, but anyway, he was doing a Daniel fast and he announced it like on Instagram, and like Stephen Colbert interviewed him about it. Um, Ellen Page uh, of Juno fame which was really big and popular. She actually blasted him on her Facebook or whatever, Twitter, because, you know, he's a Christian. He goes to a church that actually believes in traditional marriage. And like, as soon as he admitted I'm fasting, she was so fast to, uh, to hit him on social media, which I thought was weird. Anyway, social media lost its mind. Everybody was talking about it. Relevant magazine was talking about it. ABC news was talking about it. Like, What's so big about fasting? We've lost a sense of the importance of fasting for Christ. Yeah, if like one person does it, it's like on the news. Yeah. That is that is kind of bizarre. Like it's unreal. So anyway, speaking of fasting, Ash Wednesday is coming up this... March the 6th. March 6th. 2019. Yeah. I was in the show notes. I had to... <laughs> 2019. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So... So the whole purpose of this podcast today is to talk about how to set a plan and what you should focus on this Lent, maybe, what you should consider when going into this Lent. So let's get into it. Yeah, so with with Lent, you really need to have a decent battle plan going in, right? Like the scriptures say that um, without a vision, the people perish, right? So, and I find that that's the case for me. If I go in half cocked into into lent i always end up failing either if i if i go in expecting big things and to really put all kinds of penances on myself and whatnot i end up burning out if i do very little and pull back i find that i don't reap a lot of spiritual benefit from lent do you guys have kind of similar experiences that way yeah i always have a burnout actually always in lent i like i don't know three or four weeks in like kind of close to the end i always like completely crash and but it to me like what what does that look like for you well i don't know like i'll be trying to do the fast right and then i'll just go eat a whole like pan of brownies or something and (laughs) and i really love the only there's nothing good about not being able to do what you said you were going to do but you can always swing lent the right way because if you succeed you're like wow thanks the grace of god and if you fail you can always be like wow i am such a miserable sinner like look how much i need god i can't even not eat that pan of brownies they probably weren't even that great there was a pan this was many years ago but i remember that pan oh man so like <laughs> you know so i don't know but yeah anyway what uh yeah. lent prep yeah. prayer 
Yeah. So let, let's get doing. into it. So what is, what does the church actually teach on Lent? So what is Lent according to the church? So Lent is the penitential season of approximately 40 days set aside by the church in order for the faithful to prepare for the celebration of the Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. During this holy season, inextricably connected to the Paschal mystery, the catechumens prepare for the Christian initiation and current church members prepare for Easter by recalling of, by a recalling of baptism and by works of penance, that is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. That's straight from catholicculture.org. Oh, thanks, cool. Thanks, catholicculture. Because hey, you want to know what's weird? You can't find a definition of Lent in the catechism. Like even the modern day catechism, you can't really? find it. Really? Yeah, huh. it's very weird. I wonder what Trent says. I don't know. I didn't look at it, but you know, and forty has a. I don't know. Quickly go over forty has a very um, it's biblical, it's biblical a, it's in a, biblical a lot number. of ways. Um, two of the Old Testament prophets did the forty day fast. Moses and Elias, yeah. which is a super special fast. Our Lord did it. Forty days of flood. Saint Elias, thank you. Sorry. Saint Elias. <laughs> well, like Saint, the third Saint, Carmelite. Saint, yeah, he's he's our Old Testament. Father, yeah, are you okay. like Carmelites are so close to like Masons? It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, that's Opus Day, man. Oh yeah, so yeah. Oh, was he? <laughs> Who's the first? Pro- like, who did the way in the Old Testament? <laughs> anyway, they probably claim Abraham. That's who wouldn't. Yeah, yeah 40, 40 years wandering the to the desert. So, oh, who was the prophet that laid on his side? Side for 40 days to signify the siege of Jerusalem. Wasn't that 70? That was 70 days. Oh, is that 70 that was, as well? Like Septuagesima, like the okay. pre-Lent season, so. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, these numbers, they, they, they're crazy. So yeah, it's actually interesting. Just, I know it's controversial, but I'm going to mention it. <sighs> the current catechism says by a solemn 40 days of Lent, the church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. Yeah. Too. Right. Cause Jesus was 40 days. 40 oh, nights in the oh he didn't just fast for two days. No. Good oh. Friday and Ash Wednesday. <laughs> Ash Wednesday. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> interesting. Oh, <man. laughs> Yeah, this is this is something that, you know, Okay, fasting. Fasting is an ancient tradition in the church. Did you know? I mean, our Lord did it. The Old Testament prophets did it. It's right in the Acts of the Apostles before they chose new bishops or sent people out to, you know, preach. They fasted. They prayed. Then they laid hands. Are we just going to say the bad news right now? Well, well, let's ask this question. So how does how does the church actually differentiate? This penitent this penitential season from like Advent, which well, is also a penitential season. A, a darker shade of purple in the vestments. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> I don't. I don't like Advent was always seen just as a half Lent, so more like Lent is the base, and then Advent is kind of a a, a later Lent. So that that's as far as I know. Yeah. Um. So one one major way is liturgical silence. Oh, right, because okay. the church imposes, uh, well. Generally, there's no recessional hymn, at least in traditional communities. There's no recessional hymn. Uh, they omit the Gloria and the Alleluia as well. Whereas and, in and the the organ can't play unaccompanied or like by voice, so you can't just have organ interludes, and it actually has to play more simply too. You oh, can't wow. have these loud stops playing and really ornate instrumentation. Yeah, so they they scale everything back. So I mean. In terms of liturgical silence, it's supposed to mirror our interior silence, right? So yeah. the silence of of our own wills, the silence of our desires, right? So we were talking about fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, right? So um, something that kind of coming back to that silence thing, 
Um, it's it's interesting how silence of certain things helps us to appreciate their return. Um, so like fasting, it was in the there's a book that I will include in the show notes called Silence. It's by Kamel Delis Monk. He he says that fasting is like salt. Um, it gives flavor to food. Um, just you know, and I was realizing like just like that, you know, just like fasting gives flavor to food it makes everything taste better so does the silence of the glory and the alleluia mm. it helps us to appreciate them more like when when those lights come on and the gloria comes yeah. in yeah you're just like yeah like <laughs> especially when it's well done yeah <laughs> i mean yeah 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 it's for sure for sure yeah so it, it's one of those things where you just get so excited to hear it random side note that's kind of why i don't like going to um the chrism mass I think it's Christmas, right? Because mm. the Christmas brings in the uh, brings in the Alleluia. No, brings in the Gloria. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be the Alleluia. Yeah, it wouldn't be the Alleluia, but brings in the Gloria, which is very interesting. Yeah. I kind of like to wait until Good Friday. But, I've never been to a Christmas. Or, or, so I didn't know that. Holy Saturday. So why? Does, fact, why? By the oh, way, though, yeah. the uh, extraordinary form Christmas is probably one of the most ridiculous liturgical dance things happens. They have like 12 deacons that have to come in in different formations. I don't even know what happens. I read the rubrics once. It's ridiculous. So like if you ever get a chance, yeah, you have extraordinary form chrism mass. Sounds great. It's got like 12 deacons and then seven other people like pre, I think it, or maybe it needs 12 priests and seven deacons. It's some ridiculous format that has, it's outrageously long too. I, I think we should clarify when Aaron said liturgical dance, he didn't actually mean they, they don't come in with ribbons behind them, right? No, no, but like, streamers. oh, sorry, I was getting, oh, I was getting eyes from you guys for that. No, but like sometimes, like Father, when he's up there, I, I see he's very like graceful sometimes. You yeah. Know, sometimes you just see a priest and it's just, it's yeah. really graceful. So that's what I mean. Like, I'm sure, anyway, Chrism Mass, I'd love to see an external yeah, I would really one. like to see a Chrism Mass in the EF. So. Like, I'm used, to, I've been to the Novus Ordo ones and they're just, super busy and yeah you know they have all these commentators come up this is the oil of catechumens this is the oil of like yeah i, don't need yeah, I would yeah. had rather not know like oh what are they doing yeah, now yeah, would, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so why lent why lent? why does why does the church want us to even have lent saint basil saint john chrysostom saint jerome and saint gregory the great make the remark that the commandment put upon our first parents was abstinence and they screwed it up. So basically, we're we're ato- we're atoning for our own sins. Well, like everyone sins, but probably you're probably at the stage where you're just atoning for your own if you're listening to this podcast. But this forty days is specifically set aside to pacify God's anger. Anger, and it's kind of like uh, we've been. I'm doing a lot of reading. Like it's it's given a very like battle, like in warrior. Uh, can you do you want to do that? Benedict? No, I think we should explain what old Lents were before we we say what how he described it. Okay, well what well pre Vatican II. So in the forties, what was the actual? I don't. Need, I, law? I think you have to go back before that. I mean, Lent started off. It it was it was very intense. The original fervor of the oh, early Christians. Wow, we're going back. No, I mean, let's th- do it. I'm ready. <laughs> you don't have to go. I'm, I'm sitting down. I'm here. <laughs> let's go. Well, how did it start? I mean, it was. 40 days of no food well no food until i think the earliest was sundown in in you know kind of reminiscent of the jewish practice of fasting so but when but it it wasn't like islam like when you do eat it's a meal yeah and And it was a simple meal and there's no meat like it it would have been bread and 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 bitter herbs yeah no no oil olive oil uh are you crazy 
Like, so like that would have been a f- that's a fat, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, would yeah. So I mean, yeah, they and this was it would have coincided, I guess, with the time of vespers um, in the Christian era. The meal would have coincided with vespers. Yeah. So okay. gradually, you know, the the monks in Europe they were they were hard workers. I mean, they were there like tilling the land and you know building their monasteries. Um, so that was actually moved back a little bit, but it survived for the longest time. Uh, at the hour of known, which is one of the offices of the divine office. So corresponds to around 3 PM. Um, but then you see these gradual relaxations through time. So, you know, they had their meal at three, sometimes a little bit earlier, but they found that they didn't have strength for the rest of their offices. So later in the day they could actually, I find this really interesting, but I like languages. So the French word for snack is collation. So we say collation in English, but that was actually the Latin name for the office of conference, collatio. And so at the collatio, they could have a little drink of wine. And so this was one of the first That's mitigations. What, what was that? Then they found, oh, this wine's upsetting our stomach. So we need a little bit of bread <laughs> yeah. with it too. Like so the wine was a little oh, bit of monks. bread. Yeah. All this information comes from um, Dom Garanger's liturgical year, volume five, which is about Lent. Um, <laughs> I kind of like reading it. It's basically the story of Lent is a story of gradual loosening, relaxations, and decline in Christian practice. It really is. Um, but up to the point of, I think, St. Thomas Aquinas, he he made the point, you, you certainly can't eat before the hour of 3 p.m., before noon. Well, that didn't last very long. So eventually those collations, it became common to have your meal at midday, and then you had your collation in the evening. Well, if a collation isn't seen as breaking the fast, then you can have a little drink in the morning as well. Liquids don't violate the fast. So that's how we got the second collation that came in. But even up to the time of Don Garanger, he talks about how Lent is, or fasting, the spirit of fasting, basically doesn't exist if you're eating meat. And he says, even in our lax times, this is Don Garanger, this book was published in 1841, um, even on Sundays, at least we don't break the abstinence from meat because this is the only thing really keeping us having the true spirit of fasting and and i mean I, reading this it was just kind of mind-blowing how i don't know how how seriously people took lent and when he said meat, oh that we had our original forever yeah. yeah and when when he said meat i mean most places in the world at this time had allowed eggs and milk and cheese these things were called milk meat um but in the Diocese of Rome, that wasn't allowed, even on, even on, uh, well, I, I guess on Sundays, eventually it was allowed. But, you know, now we sit here agonizing about, oh, I have to fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And then, you know, at least, well, I can have a small meal, another small meal, and then a big meal. And is, does, is that reminiscent of what Christian practice was? So I'd like to read a little quote. <laughs> Yeah, do it. Do so th- this is uh, from <laughs> Pope Benedict the Fourteenth, and um, keep in mind this is actually Pope Benedict the Fourteenth. He this quote is from seventeen forty one. Yeah, so I every at the beginning of every Lent since I've started attending, you know, the traditional Latin mass, tried to do traditional Lent. I like to read this quote to get me kind of amped up. So 1741, Lent was a still extremely strict by today's standards. And this is a warning Pope Benedict XIV gave to the world. So he said, the observance of Lent is the very badge of Christian warfare. By it, we prove ourselves not to be enemies of the cross of Christ. By it, we avert the scourges of divine justice. 
By it we gain strength against the princes of darkness, for it shields us with heavenly help. Should mankind grow remiss in their observance of Lent, it would be a detriment to God's glory, a disgrace to the Catholic religion, and a danger to Christian souls. Neither can it be doubted but that such negligence would become the source of misery to the world, of public calamity, and of private woe. And here we are. Private, <laughs> private woe. What do, you, what do you think about that, Chris? I mean, can, can I think you... I'm gonna I'm gonna get like a like a like a camo shirt and just gonna have private woe. Private woe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, he's giving this like in 1741, a lot of concessions had already been made at that point. Yeah. But Pope Benedict the Fourteenth, you know, a very holy pope, he. Like he he saw he needed to give this warning to the world that we cannot loosen up on this, and I mean what have we done? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's true. Yeah. So like, what do you think, people? Like, what do we take from this? Like people listening, like we're gonna what what fat? What are our what are our what are we? Yeah, so what are we required uh, now though? What was she required now? Yeah. Yeah. So under the eighty three code. Uh, for the universal church, the norm is abstinence. So that means no meat on all Fridays throughout the year. And actually the ages are a little bit different. I think for abstinence, it's anyone from the age of 14 until the start of their 60th year. So 14 to 59. And then fasting binds Catholics on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday only. And, and actually the uh, abstinence on Friday throughout the year has been modified by most bishops conferences. They were given permission to modify it. Uh, you can replace some other penance uh, in the code. I think it actually talks about giving something else up, but bishop conferences have basically said you can substitute it with something. And I think the way the U S norms are written, it's not even clear that you have to replace it with anything. Yeah. Um, the, the Canadian one is clear yeah. that you have to. Yeah, and then as far yeah. okay. as far as fasting goes, the uh, the collations have been kind of redefined, and this was almost how it was written um, in the time immediately before Vatican II as well, in that you can have one meal and two small meals that do not themselves added added up don't create another full meal. So as long as so, so say you have an entire pie for supper. You can have a third of a pie for breakfast and a third of a pie for lunch because that's only two thirds of a pie. Hmm. So is that is that fasting? I don't know. <laughs> that's certainly not the spirit of fasting. Yeah. But do like so two hundred years ago, you eat after three. That would have been like the normal practice. Yeah. Some days you most days you can't eat meat. Now where we're at, two hundred years ago, nobody ate meat. Nobody ate meat. Okay. And now where we're at is basically nothing. No meat on Fridays sometimes and fasting on ash wednesday and good friday that's the law yes yeah. and you can like we we have a, a joke among our group of friends where we call it build your own solemnity where it's basically we if we want to eat meat on a friday we'll say hey we're gonna go out to get a bite to eat and we don't want to just eat fish and chips so let's do some other form of penance and build your own solemnity oh that's fun <laughs> yeah, like, that's <laughs> That's creative, like to, to work with the laws, but still, that has nothing to do with the original fervor of no. Lent. Like, no. yeah, we're and so I, weak. And actually, <laughs> it was a it was a meme I sent out to the guys this week um, of our Lord, and it's hashtag things Jesus never said. Um, but it shows him kind of cleansing somebody, and and the context is in the in the gospel. Our Lord says there are some kinds of you know demons that can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. I mean, right there, he shows us how important fasting is, but it's been modified for the 
our current uh, temper, I suppose, of this age. And uh, it says, this kind can only be cast out by giving up Diet Coke for a few weeks, except on Sundays. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that, is, that is not the spirit of what our Lord was telling us there. The thing is, I do want to make the point, Father Ripiger points out, the church is still joining Catholics to something good. It still orders them to fast two days a year. That's still something that's good, but it's totally deficient. Yeah. You will not acquire the virtue of fasting yeah. at that point. It's true. It's actually interesting. Like I was going through, I was looking at the Carmelite rule. I was looking at the rule of St. Benedict. Did you get a chance to look at the Franciscan one? But in each of them, um, at least in the uh, Benedictine rule and then the Carmelite rule, fasting holds primacy of place. Each time. So like in the rule of St. Benedict, it says, it is written, distribution was made to each one as he had needs. By this, we do not imply that there should be favoritism, God forbid, but rather consideration for weakness. Whoever needs less should thank God and not be distressed, but whoever needs more and should feel humble because of his weakness and not self-important because of the kindness shown him. In this way, all the members will be at peace. First and foremost, there be, yeah. Anyway, maybe I'll just remove that too. I liked it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So it's just a matter of that. In in the Carmelite rule, it says you are to fast every day except Sundays from the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross until Easter Day, unless bodily sickness or feebleness or some other good reason demand a dispensation from the fast. For necessity overrides law. Now seculars aren't bound to that, but I mean we do in our in our secular. Um, as secular Carmelites, we actually have dedicated days of fasting mm. um, preceding uh, feast days. So, you know, like St. Elijah, St. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Teresa of Avila, cool. you know, things like that, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So, do you guys want to cut to the chase though? What does this mean? Like, what are you guys doing for Lent? Well, let's, let's, let's. Oh, come can, on, Chris. Come I on. Wanna, let's, I, I want to talk about it too. Bye. What? I just, I just want to uh, answer a couple questions. So, what questions we need so to answer? So first of all, we've we've asked the question about fasting, but oh. I think there's also an important thing we need to acknowledge. Simply just giving up food isn't really necessarily the only thing we need to learn to do, right? Like I think I read a really great quote from St. Jose Maria. He says, the day you leave the table without having done some small mortification, you have eaten like a pagan, right? So... Today I I ate like a pagan. <laughs> Thanks, Domino's. Thanks, Father Steve. Um, um, you yeah. know, I, I I do just before we go into this, I I do want to say that I also I used this as an excuse in the past that well, you know, fasting isn't the most important thing. You know, I can do good things like I I'll I'll just do spiritual reading instead. I'll do. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll fast from YouTube. It's not just about food, but reading the history of the church, it is quite clear that it is really about food and that that particular form of fasting is is the, the most important one we can do. Now, they always stress the importance of almsgiving and prayer during Lent as well. But I think people really have to, again, you know, be very critical about their motivations for you know, how they're picking their Lenten penances, because we understand none of this binds anymore. The pre-Vatican II norms, like it or not, are no longer in force, but they were there for a reason. And I mean, I really like Father Ripiger talks about how we owe it to God to have all the virtues 
intact before we can go to heaven. One of those is fasting. And the church, in her wisdom, confirmed by modern psychology, he talks about how it takes about three weeks to develop a new habit, three weeks to kind of make it more concrete in your personality. And then every once in a while, you still have to work on that. Well, the, the church saw that. We had six weeks of Lent. And then four times a year, we had the Ember Days. So the Ember Days, again, were periods of fasting where you just kind of polished up that virtue that you may not have used for a little little time. But anyway. Yeah. And it's abundantly clear how bad we are at fasting when we encounter these Ember Days because we all be freaking grumpy like like do you remember that one recording we did we in the ember days tried and, to record a podcast and we just threw it out on the ember yeah it's just like it's just kind of like we're <laughs> done that's garbage. That's, that, was, that was really funny, that was funny. Yeah, yeah it was it's actually funny though like i was reading that that book on silence it was talking about one of the the desert fathers and he relates that abba poyman knew a man who fasted for six days but lost his temper which it's something he put down vehemently. It's actually, it's it's interesting. Like we can fall into other sins while trying to do this fast too. Like so, I think there's, yeah. I think we have to acknowledge too that we are fairly weak at this. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, if you've got health issues or whatever, you need to be talking to your doctor before you go full headlong into doing fasting and be talking to your spiritual director or confessor mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Every, like Everything you do, you should just hit up the confessional right before Lent and just be like, Hey, I was thinking about doing this. What do you say? Yeah. And that, that's actually, yeah, I'm glad you brought but, that up. Yeah. But yeah. for the average person, it's, it's probably pretty safe. Remember this was, this was like binding law on the entire Catholic world, like all of Christendom followed this fast. And I think we probably have, we're, I think we're just, we have a very soft existence as it is right now. Yeah. But, you know, health issues, if there's any concern, obviously yeah, you should like talk if you're, to somebody. If you're like hypoglycemic or something, yeah. like you should definitely be cautious that way. But, you know, it's it's very interesting. Adolf Tankery, um, he wrote one of the big spiritual um, theology novels, uh, works that was used uh, pre-Vatican II. Um, he said that excess in eating or drinking paves the way to unchastity, the offspring of gluttony. I mean, I've heard the same said about acedia and, and sloth, that sloth leads to unchastity too. But I think they're almost in a way related in, in, in a way because gluttony is a love of pleasure. Sloth, you know, like the vice of effeminacy is a love of pleasure. Mm. You know, so yeah. Of course, unchastity would be its its. Yeah, and when it, I mean the the concupiscible appetites. I mean, food is one of them. You try to satisfy that with things that taste nice and well. Yeah, but that's the thing though. Food is the biggest one. You eat the most, right? So it's yeah. it's it's the most important. And also, once again, Adam and Eve they ate, right? That was yeah. why. So, but uh, let's let's do it though. Let's let's do prayer and almsgiving quick. Okay. What, what are you doing for uh, what are you doing for prayer, big guy? Discussed how St. Teresa taught that multiplying devotions can be a temptation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. Yeah, okay. So, like, so, yeah, coming down to prayer. So, I mean, um, we were talking about how St. Teresa taught that multiplying devotions can be a temptation from Satan uh, to burn us out spiritually. Um, So, I know that that happens to me quite frequently. I go gung-ho into Lent. I sit down and I'm like, okay, I'm really going to make this one count. 
I'm gonna do all these things. I'm gonna go to adoration every week. I'm gonna do this and that. And I just like I add up the devotions, and then at the end of Lent, I'm like, I didn't do half of this, you know, or three quarters of this, you know. So um, Saint Teresa taught how multiplying devotions can be a temptation to burn us out spiritually. So um, speaking of prep yourself before you wreck yourself. Perhaps instead of adding lots of devotions, find one additional thing to do this Lent and do that incredibly well. If you're not doing a daily rosary, do a daily rosary. If you're not doing the full like three sets of mysteries, do that. If you're doing that, do a Stations of the Cross every Friday. That's like a very concrete. How about like in terms of concrete ideas? Yeah. yeah. If you're like not doing any mental prayer. If you're not doing and then if you're not doing any yeah. mental prayer, do yeah. 15 minutes of mental prayer. Yeah. And then spiritual reading, 15 minutes of spiritual reading. But yeah, burnouts huge but 15 minutes well my, my good old spiritual director uh he always tells me like aaron like just doing your your what you should be doing is hard enough if you can do that that's gonna be one heck of a mortification and i'm not there yet and so th- like lent's a great time because you're always hungry and you're like oh man i either gotta like get up and do something or else i'm just gonna go eat so you go do your mental prayer and for some reason god really supplies grace i notice if you are trying to fast in his honor he really like he comes through for you yeah. Um, so anyway, that's there, there is something to be said too, especially about the impact that fasting has on the soul. People who generally fast will progress faster in the spiritual life. There's, you know, there's lots of stories of this in, you know, in the life of the church where people who were incredibly good at fasting or really worked hard at fasting ha- were given incredible graces that people who didn't who don't fast don't receive so mm. you know i think mm. i think there's there's something to be said about it i don't know why that is but it's there yeah. it's there you know i know from personal experience too that's the case that god gives extra graces so yeah i would just say don't don't go into lent just filling your life up with busyness like don't don't make your lent busy with devotion you know, I think there can be a busyness of devotions and doing these things, and it can be trying to check things off the list at the end of the day. You're doing your mm-hmm. examination of conscience. Oh, shoot, I missed all of this. You know, get into the idea of making something so quality, like do your rosary and do it well, like yeah. actually meditate. Don't, you know, work hard on that. Yeah. You know, when you're doing your mental prayer, like I wake up earlier in the morning and do it. Wait, you know, actually set aside a time where you know you're not going to be sleepy so you can give your whole heart to it. You know, just do what you can to make it a more quality time instead of just, yeah. I don't know, that's that's just an idea. And part of what may have helped, especially the early Christians, but certainly in, you know, Christendom, is that everyone around you was kind of in it with you, mm-hmm. right? Like. The, they they had Mardi Gras was called Mardi Gras because the entire town had to eat all their eggs, butter, milk, meat, and they they had to they came together and just cooked it all up. Um, and same with Carnival. Carnival means throw off the flesh. Carnival. Um, but you know, and they were also in warmer climates, which you know is probably a little bit more conducive to fasting. But stop capitulating to your feelings no, over there. No, 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 no. <laughs> so my first traditional Lent was actually my best one but i found it really reassuring to you know remind myself that i was in like at least some sort of spiritual continuity with these people they all did it mm. like we're, we're all still we're people it's possible but you know you want to hear an amazing hard. this just reminds me saint rose of lima she was it was i think it was good friday 
and she was praying and she was obviously like very close to our Lord. So she came out of like the whole Good Friday, the night she was walking home and she was like glowing and radiant and like probably looking pretty fresh. And these <laughs> kids came up and they started making fun of her. They're like, ah, like, what are you doing? Did you eat or something on Good Friday? Like you like, what are you, some sort of like crappy Catholic? Like, so I know like, you know, the Pharisees, like <laughs> the Pharisees, you know, don't look like you're Lenting, but. If you don't have a headache and if you're not hungry and if Chris hasn't, you know, lost a couple pounds, then I think we should publicly shame people to be like, where's your fast, bro? Like, what are you Catholic? Like, where's your badge of honor? Especially among men. <laughs> so, like, I just find that hilarious. Like, St. Rose of Lima. At least among the buddies. Unless we'll be, among yeah. the buddies. So. We'll be Lent shaming each other. Lent It'll be fun. But, yeah, like, they made fun of her. It's right in her uh, Faber's biography of her. I just thought that was bizarre. Who, well, who got made fun of for not fasting enough some, in Lent? Some of the early Christians, I mean, the early Lents were so intense that... You know, some of these early fathers in their writings will kind of make fun of the Ramadan fast, of how light that is. I mean, they don't eat or drink the entire time the sun's up, but at night they kind of pig out. Um, so the, the early Christians were like, wow, that's what's wrong with you guys? Like, at least we do something. But we can't say that nowadays. No. Most of us. no. All right. So with regards to almsgiving, what I mean, it. Generally speaking, we've always understood that as giving to the poor, um, which I think is a really good thing. I don't know how well I've done that during Lent, to be honest with you. Dude, I really liked what you had written down the shit. Like, who is poorer than the souls in purgatory? Yeah. So, so like, souls. So yeah. So that's a, so there are some unique ideas of how you can, um, you know, give to the poor this this Lent. One is have a mass said. For the holy souls in purgatory, yeah, um, especially for like the most forgotten soul, like the the one soul that has <laughs> has no one to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you could actually do things like say the office for the dead uh, during Lent. Oh yeah, that's yeah. things like that. Yeah, um, you can obviously offer rosaries for the souls in purgatory, divine mercy chaplets, whatever. But I got to be honest with you, I've been I've been praying about it myself and and asking how can I really go outside of my comfort zone on this one this year. And I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm actually been praying about who I could visit who is poor, who is in need in my own community. You know, and to be able to bring something to them, knowing that I'm not, you know, I'm not a rich guy, but you know, I was thinking maybe even visiting an old folks home mm-hmm. and offering to do on a weekly basis over Lent, lead them in a rosary or mm. lead them in doing the Stations of the Cross on a Friday night. Yeah. Doing something like that where you bring a spiritual good to souls who are generally forgotten, yeah. you know? And even if you can't do that, my, my sister works at a nursing home and she just said, I think my sister-in-law came by with her her young daughter and just seeing a baby, like these these old folks, some, they don't have family visiting them, uh, they haven't seen y- young people in who knows how many decades, maybe some of them. Um, and, and some of them just started crying, seeing a baby and thanking her for bringing them in. Like, so if you can't go in to lead a rosary, even just visiting with your kids like that helps revitalize some of these old folks. Mm. And it's really sad, the state of some of our nursing homes. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always convicted by that writing from St. James, right? Where he says, you know, pure religion or true religion is this you know, to visit 
orphans and widows and to keep yourself unstained from the world you know like <laughs> i'm like if that's the litmus test like you're getting an f penny like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah i don't know in your minds what are some unique practices to help us enter into Lent? uh you should read dom garanger's the liturgical year you should read dom garanger's liturgical year it was hey we should we'll put a, a link in the show notes and it's yeah. spectacular yeah the okay well going back to fasting because that's probably what i'm fasting and not being grumpy but and and a little fun liturgical fact um i was reading dom garanger and he was saying the church gives us a war song in heaven's own making which can fire even cowards with hope i picked up at that fire even cowards with hope of victory and confidence in god's help and that's uh that's psalm 90 and it's actually really cool uh in the extraordinary form we that it's the tract and it's it's the song sung in, in psalm sung entirety in its entirety um it takes a long time it's like a five minute ten minute or and it's really neat it has it has the reference it's it's the psalm that satan used to tempt our lord so like one of the reasons i thought it was done in entirety was to not take the bible out of uh context That's and like a good point. so yeah. like they they sing the whole thing and i and, you know and when when is the song First day of Advent. First Sunday of Advent. For, for, first Sunday of Advent. Of Lent. Of Lent. First Sunday of Lent. Okay. <laughs> first Sunday of Lent. Thank you. Anyway, I was reading through it. I'm not going to read it now, but if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, gosh, oh golly, this is going to be tough, read this psalm. It's amazing. Like, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000, but like, you know, God will reward me. God's amazing. Like, God's going to be there for you. Like, in tribulation, which you're probably about to go through, God's going to be there. It's, it's, it's a war song given to us for Lent. So... I don't know, reading this psalm every day. That's right. something you could do too while that's, you're... That's a good point. Wake up and read that quote from Pope Benedict the Fourteenth. I love it. it really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it. Lent is warfare. Christian warfare. We don't get to talk about that anymore. That's militant. That's, ooh, that's icky. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, and just and in my past, like, three months with um, kind of going through life, I've kind of come to the, the realization, like, no one in the hierarchy, no one in the clergy... No, like even a lot of your friends, no one's going to be fasting for you. There's no like cloistered nuns to pray for your family anymore. Well, there are some, but you know, like it's there's still Carmelite. There's still Carmelite nuns somewhere, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, they're on Mount whatever Carmel. Um, no, but like, like we as Catholics, like we've failed everywhere. Like you look around, like the Latin Mass isn't better. And actually, frankly, all Latin masters, if you go to a Latin Mass, you do the pre-Vatican II fasting. That's crap. Like you can't enjoy the fruits of the Latin mass and not do the fast. That's garbage. So like, don't go to mass if you're not going to do the real fast. Yeah. Like go to the Novus Ordo. I just, I get so frustrated. People are like, oh, I love the pretty vestments. But like, you don't love the fast? Garbage. So like, no, I I think. Get the heck out of the. People, people can expect more of themselves. It's true. And it's much more doable. Like we kind of build it up in our minds that it's some horrible thing, but this was the bare minimum that was done by every Everybody. Christian before you. Fourteen year olds. Yeah. Well, no, I think it was actually a bit older under the pre-Vatican II norms. I think it bound at the age of eighteen. Okay. Yeah. Well, st yeah. I'm, Still, I'm sure. You know, all the Dominican saints were doing it anyway. Yeah. Saint Catherine Ristana <laughs> fasting at fourteen. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's, it's it's true though. But I mean, I think there's something to be said about being i think we need to acknowledge that if you are doing what the church teaches currently that's good but you will not 
develop the virtue of fasting. Yeah, it's yeah, you're you're still being obedient and that's good, but it's not going to actually create yeah. a disposition that's, within you. That's I mean that that should that should scare people. You can't stand before God without all these virtues intact and it's much easier to build them here than it is in purgatory. Think of Fatima. Like the angel came and said, penance, penance, penance. And Mary said, think of all the souls that fall into hell like snowflakes because no one's there to pray for them, to do penance for them. Oh, and that angel was ready to destroy the world too. Yeah. And then it was kind of, it was almost like a sword of light that was diffused by the radiance around Our Lady. I mean, but the angel was right. I mean, we have to do penance. Yeah, just I, just look around. Like no one's we were. It's never. It hasn't been worse than than right now for a long time. Like we like how you know we should all be driven to realize. Like look where you know even person. Yeah, my own holiness. Like I need to shape up. And so yeah, like with the understanding though that Aaron, when you went and ate that tray of brownies, it was good. It's no longer binding under pain of mortal sin. So people need to, I guess, in a sense, not beat themselves up if they fall yeah. to frailty. But that, that's, <laughs> recognize its frailty. You recognize it. It's <laughs> it's something you need to progress out of. Yeah, like there was there was a thing I was watching on Catholic TV, and they have this new show on there. Um, and long story short, the these two young Catholic guys are talking about stuff, and this guy's a Catholic father, and I think yeah, it's Tommy Ty is his name, and he was talking about the fact that he needs to have his coffee in order to go to mass so he drinks coffee on the way to mass and arrives and does mass and he's like i know that the church says it's an hour but i don't care you know and i was like this is on catholic tv like and they're just totally okay with him being like i'm okay with not being obedient to the church's law Regarding. Like the already heavily mitigated yeah. law of yeah. the one hour fast. Pre-Vatican II was three hours and all time before that was from midnight. Yeah. And he was like, I need to have my, my coffee. Like, yeah, we can expect. Bro, so like, what's your deal? Like, can you, you, you know, We're and like the I, of so much more. Yeah. And like the, the people who say, well, it's an hour before the Eucharist. Like, so they're like chewing gum and eating on the way in. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, with the hour. If you go to a Latin mass, you could be finishing your hamburger as you walk, walk in, in the church. You'd meet yeah. your hour. It's just bizarre. Like that stuff, like in purgatory, this guy, I hope he doesn't have to go. But like, you know, if that's not, if he doesn't do penance for that act, I don't know, demons are going to be pouring super hot coffee down his throat for like a hundred years, right? Until the end of time. <laughs> like, it's not like, this isn't a joke. Like, you're yeah. not just going to get away scot-free. Yeah. That's, that's a very Dante kind of punishment Man, you realize that saint bridget of revelations <laughs> some of the punishments she puts even people in purgatory if you want to get ready to lent go through some some saint bridget of sweden's revelations it's you know i was reading these and i'm like gosh i'm not going to get away with this stuff you know like i need to change and like or do atonement for my sins um i don't know the but in during lent that's what it's for it's our badge of honor it protects us for the entire year it's our and it's our tithe on the year right it's oh, almost 10 yeah. percent of the year that we're giving i love that just to yeah, god cool and to super you know cool. spiritual I about that until Matt told me to. no i well i certainly didn't come up with it but I mean, the church had no, no, you, the... no, you can just take credit for it. You're like, actually, <laughs> no, I'm the first yeah. one to do the math. <laughs> yeah, the, no, the church had all these, 
regulations there for a reason. They weren't just there to make our lives miserable. They were there because she is, you know, she's our mother and she knew what we needed. Yeah, it's true. Another practice that you mentioned was from the Council of Trent, Aaron. Oh, well, let me just read that that one. He d- he specifically directed it to the only person in this podcast who is well, able is to- married. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, we already fulfilled the regulation. <laughs> yeah, but as every blessing is to be obtained from God by holy prayer, the faithful are also taught to be some sometimes to abstain from the marriage debt in order to devote themselves to prayer. Let the faithful understand that according to the proper and holy injunction of our predecessors, it is particularly to be observed for at least three days before communion and oftener during the solemn fast of Lent. So we don't need to get off the theology of the body on you here, but that's also something you could just consider adding in to your Lent. Well, recognizing that like any other appetite, it's it's an appetite that, you know, is not the end goal of our lives, right? It's It's something that, if we give up, gives us spiritual benefit, just like any curbing any other appetite. Yeah. So it, you have to be, you have well, to look at why, well, like, make sure you don't have, you know, an attachment to anything in this life. Yeah. Know, to any created good. You know, and I love that thought too, with three days before communion, that's a discipline that's like out of the church now. But the thought of that, like, that's what the, your marriage and what you do in a marriage is the type of what happens at communion. Like, it's really neat. I was thinking, I don't know when, um, but like every time you receive communion, that's bigger than your wedding day. It's true. That's insane. Like, do, do yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not, you're, you're having a wedding day every time. I you, know. Yeah. And like, I don't, tr- I don't treat it that way, but like, so that, that three days before, even a lot of saints and people say like, whenever you know, you're going to receive communion, like do something special. Um, having that kind of build up it, 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 it mm-hmm. orients you towards heaven which is where you're going and you got to shed everything so it's, it's well, just another cool it, thing didn't tobit when he got married they kind of fasted and prayed for three days before they consummated their marriage yeah i mean these these saintly figures they saw they saw what was real didn't they i mean yeah pretty cool so anyway that was yeah. uh, a little hat tip to chris over there just how's it going <laughs> buddy <laughs> so you and Julie uh, have plenty to talk about <laughs> Uh, um, one thing that we were going to talk about too is um, the Triduum challenge, which I can attest to, I'm sh- and the other people at this table can attest to. Find yourself if you ha- aren't in a parish that offers Latin Mass during the tr- the Triduum. Find a Latin Mass or travel to it um, to a place that offers the entire Triduum in the ancient rite. And actually pre-1955 if you can which was loosened up quite a bit last year yeah. by ecclesia day may may it rest in peace <laughs> r.i.p yeah. yeah but uh yeah do it do I, it. I really liked traveling when i did it with chris two years ago it you you couldn't um you couldn't do anything but pray like you weren't at home right you couldn't just go fiddle around with your books or your computer you yeah. were literally like you're in the hotel or you're at church it really gave a, a, a quite a special like i was and a longing like i was just waiting to get the heck to Cracker Barrel after like once Easter, right? Like, cause I had nothing to do. I was just sitting around waiting, thinking about God. It was, it was, I really enjoyed. And the, and the Triduum's beautiful. Oh, it is. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's was actually kind of great to be able to do it with other people too. Like, I mean, it, it's one thing to be fasting with your spouse for, you know, but to have other friends that are there with you going through it and you're like, 
uh, like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, you know? And like, you'd make it to Saturday and you're like, to Cracker Barrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. You know what I mean? I'm sorry like, I ditched you guys on the last day. I just, I, I had to go to St. Joseph Oratory. I know. It's fine. It's fine. But yeah, no, if, if you do get a chance to go, like even taking pictures after the liturgies of what the, what the experience is like you know like take a picture of the the altar or whatever Mm. and share it on social media because honestly there is a vast difference even in the way that these traditional communities cherish these these sacred days make sure you soak it all in though like yeah don't be trying to be too busy taking pictures no 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 no, no, especially during the gloria at St. Joseph's Oratory, it's great. They they have so many veils on all these statues, and they're just altar boys crawling all over side altars. They got ladders out, ripping off purple veils. All the bells in the church are going, and the lights have just been flicked on. I mean, it makes your fast worth it. Oh you're yeah, like, this is what I fasted. I for. wasn't. Even, yeah, not you're not hungry at that point. I yeah. mean, waiting in the church beforehand, maybe I was, but not then. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just I think it's a, a great opportunity to experience it. Like I I had done i kind of did it gradually i had done like okay well i'm gonna go to easter vigil and i did that for a few years and then i was like okay well maybe i'll go to good friday and easter vigil and then suddenly it was like you know what like and then i would go to you know novus ordo for the other times and every novus ordo was so jarring and so annoying and Mm -hmm. it just and no matter whether i went to the seat of the diocese or i went to what was typically known as the most you know orthodox parish in the area it failed it just failed it just like there was no there was busyness there was noise there was irreverence there was all of that find find a a latin mass to go true to him yeah i can guarantee you it will change your life you were gonna say let us know what you're playing. Some people are really hesitant to talk about what they're doing for Lent, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there can be that that sense of like letting your, yeah, your, but your tassels flow. Yeah, it's kind of strange. That... Maybe, yeah, don't you don't have to tell us what you're doing, but if you have cool ideas of like maybe what's a cool way to respond to the call to alms giving, mm-hmm. you know, what's what's a cool way to do that? Not you don't have to tell us what you're doing, but like. You know, yep. or even getting together with friends to do it, like you were saying earlier, right? Yeah. Like, because it helps people yeah. to do things together. Yeah. Whenever, when, yeah, when I met Matt, everything became a heck of a lot easier. And this was this was the public act of the church. Like, Catholics were all in on this together. So, yeah, you know, everyone knew everyone was doing it up till you know the '60s, basically. So, I I don't think you have to be that private about it. But if you're just no. going to be you know, you certainly don't want to gloat over it either. You're just doing the bare minimum. Yeah. What What are you guys' thoughts on the ash tag? Have you heard about that? No. Can you tell me? I, the ash tag where you, you take a picture of your ashes on Ash or, Wednesday and post it on social media? I find it weird. Uh, yeah, I don't... I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I... <laughs> I, what what I prefer is on is on Palm Sunday. I usually I'll take a, a picture with the palm up against my face and I'll say face palm. Face palm. That's <laughs> that, that's. You know I actually haven't been. No, to I, an, I only did that once. That but. Sounds amazing. I haven't been to an Ash Wednesday mass in quite a few years. I'm usually working and then they I can't find an evening one. But I will say, it. it I, I don't think it's necessarily bad the people that it attracts, but it attracts people. I'll see them walking around my workplace. Who I know have no interest in Catholicism or 
are actively, you know, antagonistic to Catholicism. But for some reason, they still have this attachment to going and getting their ashes. I don't know what that is. Could be movements of grace in their life. I'm certainly not going to go yell at them and say, oh, take those off your forehead. But um, that, that would be a grumpy trad thing to do, which would not be good. We're good at that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there, I don't know. There's something about it that seems to attract people's imaginations, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I don't like doing it. I think I've done it once and I still felt weird about it. Anyway. Yeah. That's just what's running. Hmm. Guys, let's uh let's cap this thing off. Let's talk about next week. What are we looking forward to? Oh, next week we're going to Michigan somewhere. I'm not even sure where, and we're all carpooling down to have a little buddy fest with uh, Phil from the blog Unum Sanctum Catholicam. I've been super stoked. I've been quoting his websites to Chris and Matt nonstop. I have my man crush. Just like, mm-hmm. Philip, I He's so dreamy. Philip, he's the best. And like, <laughs> can't stop. And like, I've been reading his website all over again, too. And I'm I'm stoked. We're, we're going we're gonna to have a very good podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. So yeah, we're gonna do a group interview, which very gonna be very different for us, right? It's, yeah. Well, it's like it's a it's group like chat t- with, tag team with special guests. I'm like, just gonna so. hang back and drink whiskey. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said that he he never drinks. So, oh. but he said he's going to drink whiskey now. But he said it'll like it'll throw him under the bus. And <laughs> I loved his commitment. He's look how committed he is. He's just like I don't drink, but I will. And I'm like, man, this guy's in. He's in the buds. So. <laughs> So, yeah. Good thing we're getting this in before Lent actually starts. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so. True that, true that. So, um, but it will be Septuagisima, technically, when we record with him. Oh, I only mm. give up whiskey at Quinquagesima. <laughs> <laughs> does, does anyone know? So. <laughs> Anyways, that's great. That's great. So definitely tune in next week. It's going to be a great one. Um, again, if you guys haven't followed us, please do. Guys, we really want to know. Uh, if you're finding benefit from this podcast. So let us know. Uh, if you would, just rate us on iTunes. If you get a chance, uh, leave us a review. Even, even if that's not your jam, send us an email, theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook. You can leave a comment there. Um, or follow us on Instagram now that we have an Instagram. So at theologyofthebuddy on there as well, all one word. So um, just let us know if you're enjoying this podcast. Uh, we'll be coming back next Wednesday. Thanks again so much for listening. We hope you guys have a blessed Lent. Make it a good one. Yeah, make it a good one. Remember to prep your Lent before you wreck Wreck your Lent. Lent. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We really want to know your thoughts on the topics discussed during today's podcast, as well as your questions and topics you'd like us to explore in the future. So please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Theology of the Buddy and come hang out with us. Please follow and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play to keep up on the great conversations, with new episodes coming every Wednesday. We would also love if you would rate us on iTunes if you have not done so already. It'd really help us out. Next week, the boys will be interviewing Phil from the Unum Sanctum Catholicum blog. Until then, stay tratty!